about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those who choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Hi everyone, my name's Maddie and I usually go to the CIG service. Um, I'm going to be reading to you uh, this morning from 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 9, which is on page 925 of the regular Pew Bibles or page 1,625 of the large print. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. 
The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Friends, it's such a joy to be together as one family, isn't it? And to hear what God is doing everywhere, in every place, in so many different lives here. It's been so encouraging to be gathered together already. And it's such an encouragement to gather around God's word and to hear what he has to say for us. So but I pray for us as we do that. Our Father, bless us by your spirit with the mind of Christ, we pray. That we might know the deep things of you, our God, and know your mind and your heart and your will for us, your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It was in 1868 that Robert Taylor became the rector of St. Stephen's in Camperdown in those days. Didn't meet on this site. It met over on Stephen Street, if you can believe that, uh, in a small little building, maybe more the size of Erskineville Church these days. And when he started, they had this great problem. People had stopped coming to church. Simply because there was no room. The church could fit 75 adults and 100 kids, And no one else bothered to come because they knew there would never be a seat for them. And so Robert Taylor started to think, well, something has to happen here. But everyone echoed back, well, the parish is way too large. And the people here are way too poor. There is no way that we could possibly get a bigger building. And so one day Robert Taylor got up to his pulpit And preached to his people that if they prayed, God would supply everything they needed for the work. And so these people, under-resourced, with way too many people to reach, prayed, and the result is the building you're sitting in. Every brick is of a church that no one could afford for a building that a suburb desperately needed but no one believed would come. At the end of a little booklet where people described how this building happened and how the funding ended up coming and how all the obstacles were overcome, the the narrator at the end says this, I would ask my readers to note how, from beginning to end, help was sought from none but our faithful promise-keeping God. You see, that's, friends, is what it takes for great works of God that bless generations to come to start. A group and generation of people who resolve to trust in their God despite what everything looks like so that he will bring about his promised purposes and bring about his own glory. And friends, as we contemplate this year, and as we stand on the precipice of a new era, perhaps, I think this is the, is the exact confidence that God, by His Spirit and in His Son, longs for us to have. And so I want to take you through this passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9. I think this passage gives us that vision and tell you three things that are, I think we really need this year to have that bold confidence in God and His purposes. 
as our generation had so many years ago. Three things. The first thing is this. We need to walk with the Spirit's vision. Walk with the Spirit's vision. Chapter 3 starts, it's pretty brutal. I was just hearing it read again out loud. I'm like, that's a really brutal text to have read out to you, uh, being addressed as brothers and sisters. And what do you get called? What do the Corinthians get called? Babies, infants, not even ready for solid food, still on their milk. It's a massive rebuke, but it comes in a, in a, bit, of, a bit of context from chapter 2. Paul's been explaining how the Corinthian church started. Because the Corinthians think it came down to great human leaders. But Paul says, no, 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 here's what happened. I rocked up to Corinth, this huge metropolitan, complicated, pluralistic city, trembling and afraid, and I preached that God was crucified to save the world. And in chapter 2, he describes how the only thing that made the Corinthian church start was the Spirit's power. It is the Spirit, verse 10, uh, who knows the deep things of God because he searches the things of God, the depths of God's understanding of all things. And through the Spirit, we are able to understand the things that God has given us. When you trust Jesus It is the Holy Spirit who helps you see the cross and Jesus for what they are despite the appearance of foolishness. And so it was with the Corinthians. The Spirit of God flooded them with a new vision, with the mind of Christ, with the depth of the wisdom of God. And so with that in mind, he gets to the the beginning of chapter 3 and he says, guess what? You people are not walking in that wisdom. You've been flooded with the understanding of God's purposes in Christ. And yet what does he say? Are you not mere human beings? Are you not acting in a mere human way? Particularly for Paul is the problem of factions in the church. Some of them love Apollos. Some of them love Paul. They're breaking into these different groups with the competitive spirit of Corinth and it's kind of elitist educational model where you followed your favorite teacher and the group around them. And he's looking at the Corinthian church and he says, you guys are filled with the wisdom of the spirit, but you're walking in the wisdom of your city. You're walking in the wisdom of your age. You're doing church with merely human wisdom when God's mind has been opened to you. It's so funny when you read the New Testament and you see how many churches full of the Holy Spirit quarrel and fight, who bite and devour each other, like in Galatians, who are divided, who let small things get in the way of the big things of God. Friends, one of our challenges this year is in our uncertainty and anxiousness at times. We might try just walking in our own human wisdom, ending up fighting over petty things that don't matter. Walking in the wisdom of our city, in its self-made confidence, with its culture of hopelessness and pessimism, using its techniques and strengths, rather than the wisdom of the cross, 
rather than the power open to us in the gospel. See, the first thing we need to do as we start this year is to check ourselves and what vision, what wisdom we are seeking to walk in. The wisdom of our city or the wisdom of God's spirit, the wisdom of the Christ at the cross. Checking our quarrels, our divisions, our strivings, the think of our city at the door. That's the first thing, friends. Are we walking in the wisdom of God's spirit? But you might be asking, well, what does that look like? What does that look like for the Corinthians? What does that look like for us? Well, for the Corinthians, and this is the second thing, it meant making much of God and his works. Making much of God and his works, rather than making much of human leaders and their works and their skills. What does Paul say? He says, what, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are these men who you're so captivated by? They're only servants serving another master through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. Who are these people? They are God-given, God-assigned servants. Their origin is not in themselves. They are gifts from God, as Kelly has already beautifully explained for us. People who aid our faith and belief from God, by God, in his strength and wisdom and power. And so Paul goes on, you know, I planted the seed in Corinth. I came with the foolish gospel to start with. And then Paulus came along and he started to water. But God has been making it grow. The only reason why the gospel grows in Newtown is by the Holy Spirit revealing the mind of Christ, unveiling the foolishness of the cross to be the wisdom of God and the powerful salvation. It is God alone who can give the growth in 2020, in every other year. You know, we're not good with these agrarian analogies, and I get that. I'm one of those terrible gardeners that Kelly described. Uh, But I have been, in my own foolishness, trying to grow pumpkins. Uh, Now, I started this work in secret, thinking Cass would disown me, and... I got some pumpkin seeds and I planted them in the ground in the most surreptitious part of our garden uh, so she wouldn't find out and have been watering it with the leftover tea in the, the teapot because it's water restrictions and all that. And so I just chucked the seeds in the ground. I've been chucking water in it from the teapot. I'm hoping when Cass wouldn't find out. One day she walks in and she says, Matt, have you planted something in the backyard? Uh, maybe. She says, I... I can't use half of the washing line. And the, the pumpkin I'd set up to grow up the wall and had grown all the way up the wall and had actually taken grip of half of the washing line. She'd found out. But it's so, it's, um, so interesting. You know, I didn't, I didn't do much to the pumpkin. I grabbed some seeds, I chucked them in the ground. It was the worst soil in the whole of our backyard. I chucked tea leaves on it and yet it grew and in our minds when we see plants grow we think that's what plants are designed for their seeds they have information and they grow but if you're a Hebrew if you are a believer in the God of the Bible you believe Psalm 65 that God waters his earth and its abundance is the overflow of him as creator God and his love for his creation 
that when pumpkin seeds miraculously grow, it's because God gives the growth, because he tends his earth, because he is the great God and creator over all. I think it's the same problem when we look at church and we see it growing and developing and good things happening. We think, oh yeah, great. It's because we're enacting the right things and we're doing the right purposes and we have a good mission statement. And all those things are fantastic and we need to do them well. But friends, God gives the growth. According to Paul, what does he call us, me and Mike? Nothing. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters are anything, verse 7. But only God who makes things grow. What does Paul do? He makes much of God. When he sees things happening in Corinth, he gives thanks to God. When he wants things to happen in Corinth, he prays to God because God gives the growth. Friends, rather than walking through this year thinking, if only if we did X, if only we did Y... If only we had this happening or that happening. Why not have your eyes open to the things God is growing and make much of him as you see them? Give thanks to him. Tell stories of him as you see them. As we've been telling today, as the booklet is full of stories of what God is doing. Let's see them. Let's name them. Let's show each other what God is doing and give God the honor and pray for him to do more. You know, when they were praying for this building to be built, they made a radical decision, radical decision, that they wouldn't use none of the normal ways you raised money in the 19th century. They would make no public appeals, no concerts, no big fundraisers. Instead, they would meet every week for prayer. Robert Taylor summoned them every day to prayer. And he warned them. He said, you know, at the beginning, people are going to laugh at you for praying, for just praying for a building to happen. And you know what? When they get to the end and the building has been finished, you know what they'll say? Oh, it's because they had great committees. It's because they had favorable circumstances. They will explain it in any other way than give God the glory. That's our tendency to be blind to the God who gives the growth, to ascribe it to what we have done rather than his glory. But friends, Paul summons us to not make much of what we do and how we do it and who we are, but much of the God who gives the growth. There's a third thing here for us, I think, in the last couple of verses of this section. And friends, I think as we we stand at this moment in our life as a church, we are to look for and to expect a greater work to happen. That maybe God is on about and is doing something bigger than we can see right now that we couldn't even expect. If it is God who gives the growth, then we are to thirdly look for and expect a greater work. Let me explain how this works. Have a look at verse 8 and 9, because I I don't like the way the NIV translated this. I'm sorry. Because it gives the wrong impression, I think. If you read verse 8 and 9, the the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. What it sounds like is someone's on planting duty, someone's on watering duty, and each will get their wage in the end. They have their own tasks Uh, but they'll both get sorted out at the end of the day. But it actually reads in verse 8 at the beginning, 
the one who plants and the one who waters are one. Is it not that they have separate purposes, but the planting and the watering are part of one bigger work? There's no point in planting and not watering. There's no point in watering soil without a seed planted in it. Both of them are part of a bigger purpose. They are both labor contributed toward a greater work. What's that greater work? For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You see, Paul and Apollos have a couple of tasks in one big greater purpose that God is weaving in and through and around Corinth and through all the ages since the gospel. You see, God is always about a bigger work, bigger kingdom purposes, that our small parts he weaves in and through as part of that service in his field, as bricks in his building. There's this great uh, psychology study done. Uh, It's fantastic. Go look it up, the door study on YouTube later. And what they do is they walk into a city with a map and they walk up to someone and they say, hey, I'm lost. Can you point me to the piazza or the to Piccadilly Circus or something, and, and they, get, they engage this local with this question. And in the middle of the conversation, someone walks through with the door. And the door walks through the conversation and kind of separates the two as they're kind of trying to work this out. And as the door passes, the person holding the map changes into a different person. Right? So the door goes past, uh, and there's one person, and all of a sudden there's another. And Dad said, go watch it on YouTube. No one picks it up. No one picks up that the person they're talking to changes. Which makes sense when it's, you know, generic white man and generic white man. You're like, right, whatever. You know, generic white man came and asked me directions. But when a white man turns into an Asian woman, perhaps you'd be onto it. And I was talking to my friend about this who's in perception research in psychology, and he says, you know, it's one of the pieces of proof we have that humans are terrible at taking in the whole. We are just awful at taking in the whole picture of what's happening. We're always getting sucked so narrowly in that we miss the bigger picture. What Paul's concerned about is that this quarreling over leaders is sucking the Corinthians away from God's bigger purpose. Of what God is doing in and through all the leaders. And what he is doing in his church. And friends, we are to look for and to expect the greater work that God is doing. What does this mean? Well, it means that whatever you've picked up to serve this way in this year at church, through an event, through a ministry, through Sundays, whatever it is, do you know what it is? It's part of a bigger work. God will weave it into the story he's been weaving in these suburbs since the time of the indigenous inhabitants, since the time of Robert Taylor when he built this church. What you're doing is not a small, insignificant task. It's part of his bigger work. Expect and look for it. Be confident that what you're doing, God will bring the growth to, and he will make it part of of his bigger purpose. 
But the second thing might be that, well, I know that as a church, we're, we're quite distinct and different as services. I like to think of our church as a fleet of ships. When you come to church, you feel like you belong to a certain ship. CIG or Oco or Cottage or 1045, whatever it is. You have a crew you serve with. There's things that happen on your deck every day. And what we tend to forget is that there are other ships out there, and actually together we're on mission. Together we're sharing resources. Actually, it's no accident that by the Holy Spirit, God weaved us together as parishes. That we need one another. That together God is weaving a bigger purpose through both of us together and as four together than he could on our own. And maybe this year summons us to think of ourselves as together a fleet of ships on mission, resourcing, praying, longing, expecting together. But maybe the third thing is that maybe we should be expecting something bigger. Maybe as we stand on the precipice of a new thing that God wants to do something bigger. Maybe the time has come to reach the most secular part of our city in a new way. And maybe in transition, God will be preparing it for us, even when we're not ready. Friends, when you expect God to be giving the growth, your eyes should have be on the horizon that far. Be expecting that big. Be seeing what God is doing that big. That maybe through us as a generation, he wants to resource gospel ministry for generations to come. Like those who built this building. Can you imagine that they would understand the significance of having a building like this in the most secular part of our city in an age like this? They could not have fathomed what God was answering in their prayers. We have to look for and expect the bigger work that God is doing. And why should we have confidence in all of this? Confidence that God will keep growing us in 2020, that he's on about his work, that he's using us. Why should we be confident? Well, Paul ends the chapter by talking about Jesus. He says, you know, get your eyes up. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, whether life or death or the present or the future, everything is yours. Why? Because everything belongs to Jesus. Through his death, through his resurrection, everything belongs to him. And God the Father will fulfill his purposes and bring glory to his Son. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus who gave himself for us, we can be confident that God will give the growth. And we had to walk in the Spirit's wisdom, looking for it, making much of what we see God doing, and expecting bigger, greater things for His glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray today that by Your Spirit, You would again give us that wisdom to see Your mind and Your heart and Your purposes in Jesus, in His cross, in His resurrection, that we would have a bigger vision for Newtown for 2020 than we would have without You giving it to us. Father, we pray for boldness and confidence and prayerfulness that you will in your own way grow us for your glory. And we give you the praise. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.